Welcome to another episode of Electrify This, a podcast focused on the movement to electrify everything as a key strategy to decarbonize and revitalize our economy. Each month, I connect with experts to explore the policy and market issues underpinning the shift to electrify transportation, buildings, and industry. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, Director of Electrification with Energy Innovation. Today's episode, From COP27 to Corporations, Electrifying Industry to Meet U.S. Climate Goals. Over the past two weeks, global leaders, delegates, and representatives were gathered in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, for the 27th Conference of Parties, or COP27, the climate change conference, where global leaders convene to jointly enhance and accelerate the implementation of global climate action and follow up on collective commitments and pledges to reduce emissions. Among the numerous announcements and developments that emerged from COP27, one was particularly noteworthy. Governments representing over half of the global economy announced a 12-month action plan to speed up the decarbonization of power, road transport, steel, hydrogen, agriculture, and industry writ large. The United States, Germany, Japan, and Canada were among those to back a set of 25 priority actions that include agreements to focus on the decarbonization of industry, for example, ramping up deployment of large-scale net-zero emission industrial plants, and leveraging investments and infrastructure dollars to stimulate global demand for green industrial goods. There are also agreements to support developing countries and emerging markets as they transition to carbon-free industries. So while much work remains to be done, these collaborative global commitments help send a strong signal that decarbonizing heavy industry is imperative if we are to get on a climate-safe pathway. They also convey to the corporate world that now is the time to consider adoption of technologies that reduce emissions at scale. The U.S. industrial sector is ripe for innovation and exciting advancements in industrial decarbonization through electrification are paving the way. Here to speak with me today are two experts on the topic. First, we have Jeffrey Rissman, Director of Industry with Energy Innovation. Jeff leads the organization's work on technologies and policies to achieve zero net greenhouse gas emissions from the industrial sector. He's also the originator and developer of the Energy Policy Simulator, a computer model that quantifies the costs and emissions impacts of various policy combinations. Jeff holds an MS in Environmental Sciences and and Engineering and a Master's in City and Regional Planning from UNC Chapel Hill and a BA in International Relations with honors from Stanford University. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sarah. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And it is great to have a fellow colleague on the show. Uh, I'm also joined by Gibran Zuberi, who's a research scholar with Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. He has an engineering background and research experience working on topics related to industrial energy efficiency, integrated energy systems, emissions reductions, and so forth. His current research is focused on developing decarbonization strategies for industrial systems, understanding emerging clean energy technologies, and R&D and D opportunities in the space. Previously, he was a postdoctoral researcher at the Institute for Environmental Sciences at the University of Geneva, Switzerland. Welcome to the show, Gibran. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So I'm really honored to have you both here today, and there's so much I want to cover, so let us dive on in. Jeff, I'm going to start with you. You are the author of a forthcoming book on the topic of industry decarbonization called Zero Carbon Industry, and you've devoted much of your 
esteemed career to researching and analyzing this topic. Tell our listeners a little bit more why industrial decarbonization really matters and why you've chosen to focus on that issue in your career. Sure, Sarah. So um, for background, an increasing number of countries have committed to achieve true net zero greenhouse gas emissions. China has pledged to achieve net zero by 2060. The United States, the EU, and dozens of other countries have set 2050 targets. And industry is going to be at the heart of that transition. Uh, Industry is responsible today for about a third of human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. That includes the emissions associated with electricity and steam purchased by industry. So um, efficiently and cost-effectively reducing the industrial sector emissions is crucial to the goals of all these countries. And though, though industry is a major emitter, It's also at the core of developing low carbon solutions. Manufacturers produce technologies like solar panels, wind turbines, uh, clean vehicles, energy efficient buildings. So industry has to transition to zero carbon processes while continuing to supply transformational technologies and infrastructure to all sectors of the economy. I find this among the most important and the most fascinating challenges facing humanity today which is why I'm so excited to be working on it. That's awesome. And it is a field that needs more folks and expertise because it's it's a bit uh, nascent, I would say. Um, your Zero Carbon Industry book is, is coming out sometime next year. And uh, just give us a little preview of what that, that book looks like. Sure. So... Um, It'll be out in late 2023. We don't have an exact uh, date yet. Zero Carbon Industry, it's being published by Columbia University Press, and it aims to be the definitive guide to the technologies that could decarbonize the global industrial sector and the policies that would get those technologies um, commercialized, deployed, and scaled up uh, to the uh, extent necessary to achieve true zero carbon industry. Um, it also has. Uh, it also considers how uh, the process of a transition to clean industry could help uh, promote equity and um, and economic development for uh, countries and communities worldwide. Wonderful. Well, I know I am very excited about the book. I've had a, a preview of a few sections and excited to to read the whole thing once it's out. Uh, no doubt it will be a, a transformative uh, bit of research for the world and very relevant to so many of the conversations happening uh, over the past two weeks at COP27. Um, so thanks so much, Jeff. That's a great introduction. Gibran, for you, I know you've devoted a, a bunch of your career to exploring the topic of industrial decarbonization as well. What drew you to this topic and what are you focused on in your current research? Sure. So... So when I started working after my uh, engineering, I realized that uh, energy costs are uh, usually only a small fraction of the total production costs. And so uh, saving energy is usually not the priority of uh, industrial plants. However, um, I come from Pakistan and have seen energy crisis, load shedding since my childhood. So it was at that time when I started thinking that um, a unit of energy saved could be supplied to a place where there is a shortage. So so with my MSc in energy systems and uh, PhD in environmental sciences, 
I continue to fell in love with this topic. So, uh, and yeah, I'm still in. So my current research um, is on topics related to industrial decarbonization. More specifically, I'm focused on um, techno-economic analysis of uh, emerging technologies for uh, um, industrial electrification, energy efficiency, and carbon capture and utilization, et cetera. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks. Well, you guys have a lot in common, so hopefully this podcast uh, nurtures a, a new friendship. <laughs> You're both in the Bay Area, so I imagine it would be great to to get together and share all of your, your insights from the work you both do. So, um, Jeff, you recently published a new research report called Decarbonizing Low-Temperature Industrial Heat in the U.S., and it talks about the opportunity and benefits of electrifying low-temperature heat in a, in a number of manufacturing processes. Uh, this is a topic that you've devoted a lot of uh, time to. So tell us more about your top-line research findings from the report and some of the benefits that the U.S. could achieve from this electrification of low-temperature heat. Sure. So the report discusses how to avoid CO2 emissions from low-temperature industrial heat, which means uh, up to 165 degrees Celsius in my report. That's about a third of the heat requirements for industrial processes in the U.S. Industries like food and beverage manufacturing, paper making, textiles, wood products, or forming products out of purchased plastic all require a lot of low temperature heat. And I would say, I mean, one central finding of the report is that um, the most cost effective and energy efficient way to decarbonize that heat is via industrial heat pumps. So um, commercialized industrial heat pumps can output temperatures up to 165C, and they're far more efficient at supplying that heat than fossil fuel combustion. Um, the uh, um, research also includes some modeling I did where um, we saw what would, I saw what would happen if fossil fuels were replaced with heat pumps for supplying low temperature industrial heat in the US uh, gradually by 2050. And if you did that, uh, industrial greenhouse gas emissions uh, would be 16% lower relative to business as usual in 2050, and it would avoid 3,000 US, U.S. deaths per year, and that's thanks to reduced conventional air pollution, uh, not greenhouse gases, uh, from switching away from fossil combustion. And it would boost U.S. GDP by about $8 billion and increase the total number of U.S. jobs by 75,000 in 2050 relative to business as usual in that same year, um, thanks to investments in this innovative industrial equipment and then new renewable generation capacity to, re to supply that electricity and the purchases of the domestically produced electricity. Um, and then at the end of the report, there's a section discussing policies uh, to promote heat pumps, industrial heat pumps, and uh, some incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act that could be used to help fund industrial heat pump deployment. That's fascinating. And uh, why don't we talk a little bit about some of those core incentives from the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, I'm sure that most folks are unaware of them. <laughs> there's so much in that bill and there's so much uh, great stuff, but some of the things have kind of uh, slipped through the cracks. So talk a little bit about what's in there and, and what opportunity that, that presents for electrification of industrial sure. processes. So the Inflation Act um, was, was the a bill recently passed uh, at the federal level and there are two provisions I'm aware of that could help provide funding for industrial electrification. 
and accelerate technology adoption. So Section 13501 provides $10 billion in funding for the 48C manufacturing tax credit, and that could be used to accelerate um, heat pump adoption because it expands the eligibility for the tax credit to include re-equipping an industrial or manufacturing facility with equipment designed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by at least 20% through the installation of lower zero carbon process heat systems. That last bit is a quote from the, the law. So um, upgrading a facility to utilize heat pumps uh, or other zero emission process heat technologies would meet the definition. Uh, the other relevant section is 5161, uh, which establishes an advanced industrial facilities deployment program. It authorizes uh, $5.8 billion, and that's goes to the purchase, installation, retrofit, or upgrade to industrial facilities to use advanced, quote, advanced industrial technology. And that term is defined to include technologies and processes that increase energy efficiency, uh, which includes heat pumps since they're the most efficient uh, heating option in that temperature range. That's great. So for those listening and curious about how your company or business might be able to take advantage of these resources, uh, take a closer look at, at the Inflation Reduction Act and the billions of dollars going in this direction. Because that's been a, a, a barrier to date. Of course, new technologies tend to be slightly higher cost. Uh, industries are less familiar with them. Are you, in your research, seeing more uptake of these industrial heat pumps? Um, so uptake of industrial heat pumps is still uh, rather small, um, and it's a small share of the heat pump market. Most heat pumps are used in buildings. Um, the majority is to heat uh, and cool air for the comfort of, of building occupants, and then the second most common is uh, water heating for um uh, in buildings. Uh, less than 2% of the uh, heat pump market is for industrial process heating. Um, it's probably around 1%. Uh, estimates vary, but that's, that's the right, that's the right um, rough number. And so um, I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to grow and uh, expand uh, this market um, given, and it can sort of piggyback on some of the technological development that's already happened uh, in heat pumps for, um, for industrial and for non-industrial applications. Great. Well, we'll dig into that a little bit later when we talk more about some of these market challenges and opportunities. Um, Gibran, I want to talk about your recent report, uh, which just came out as well, the electrification of U.S. manufacturing with industrial heat pumps. So, Apropos to this conversation, um, you also note that the industrial heat pump deployment has been pretty limited. Um, why is that? And what other, what other findings uh, from your report are worth mentioning today? Mm -hmm. So, honestly, I don't have a clear answer to this question. Um, I think one major reason is the difference in electricity and natural gas prices. So, the national average electricity price in the U.S. is nearly three to four times higher than natural gas, which somewhat uh, discourages industry to opt for this option. Also, Europe, especially Nordic countries and Japan, have invested uh, a lot in, in um, heat pump research. And there are a number of suppliers out there who could deliver high temperature uh, high temperatures through through heat pumps. 
So lack of awareness at an industrial plant level could, could also be one reason. And I think lack of demand is the issue why there are limited heat pump suppliers in, in the U.S. market. However, um, in the past few months, I've started to hear about industrial heat pumps regularly in the in the U.S., which means there's increasing interest. And with more interest and demand comes more suppliers. So I'm optimistic and I think it will be a hot topic here very soon. Absolutely. And uh, presumably the growth that we're expecting to see in the residential and commercial building sector for heat pumps will also help uh, nurture increased demand and production of uh, industrial heat pumps. Is that accurate, would you say? Absolutely. I, I fully agree with you. what you just said. Great. Well, and as a reminder for folks who maybe missed the last episode, there are tons of incentives for uh, residential and commercial heat pumps and other electrified technologies in the Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, next year and the next 10 years are going to be a huge uptick in these energy-efficient technologies, which is very exciting. Um, Gibran, what are some of the other key findings that were maybe more unexpected for you or really interesting that you want to share with folks from your research report? Sure. Um, so before we studied industrial um, heat pumps, we performed a detailed analysis for electric boilers. Now, electric boilers are almost 100% efficient compared to conventional combustion boilers, which are uh, typically 70 to 80% efficient. Um, and one of the conclusions of our earlier study was that despite the 20% efficiency improvement through electric boilers, high electricity costs and other factors overshadow the, the efficiency gains. So we need technologies that are even more efficient than electric boilers. And industrial heat pumps are, are one alternative and are much more efficient than electric boilers, as Jeff also mentioned earlier. Now, of course, um, heat pumps have certain limitations. They have uh, capacity limitations. Also, today's technology cannot deliver heat beyond a certain temperature. Hence, in our in our study, we highlighted some uh, manufacturing processes that are suitable for heat pump applications. And uh, for these processes, we presented that even if we use ambient heat as the heat source for heat pumps, it is a conservative approach, by the way, um, efficiency gains start to dominate other uh, factors and operational costs become um, competitive with uh, with, with con conventional boilers. So in U.S. regions where, where the gap between electricity and natural gas prices is relatively low and also the power generation is relatively cleaner, your heat pumps could already be cost-effective and CO2-friendly. Wonderful. That's great. That's a very exciting finding. Uh, so in other words, just to kind of recap what you've just said and kind of building on what uh, Jeff shared, the primary advantage of the uh, industrial heat pump is that it has a much greater efficiency than even a, an electric boiler and certainly a huge efficiency advantage over the conventional boiler. And so their adoption in certain instances can actually help overcome the disparity in price between natural gas and electricity, which, you know, we know that industries and businesses are driven by the bottom line. So those, those energy costs are probably the most important factor to address. And uh, is, that, is that an accurate representation of your, of your findings? Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was saying. 
Great. <laughs> I just like to make sure I'm understanding. <laughs> I know you guys know what you're talking about. Um, so, and, and you mentioned, Gibran, that there are certain uh, manufacturing processes that are most ripe for this. Can you talk a little bit about which ones those are, either in the U.S. or internationally, depending on uh, sure. what's most relevant? Sure. So yeah, um, um, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, the current state of the art heat pumps have uh, have uh, temperature limitations. So to my knowledge, commercially available industrial heat pumps cannot deliver heat beyond 175 degrees Celsius. So industrial sectors or industries that have substantial heat demand below or around 175 degrees Celsius are the most suitable for, for heat pump applications. So I would say food and beverage industries, textile plants, metal processing industries are the ones who are likely to adopt or are already adopting the technology first. Um, however, given the, the temperature profiles, I think chemical sector also possesses a great potential and it is also the most energy intensive. So, so yeah, chemicals is another major sector of interest. Great. Well, uh, for those who want to know more and dig into the details, we will be posting the links to both of these reports um, in the show notes. So please do t take a look and learn more. Um, so Jeff, I want to come back to you. And you know, we've talked a lot about the opportunities to electrify low temperature industrial heat with heat pumps. But we've also acknowledged that there are a lot of industrial processes that fall more into the medium and high temperature uh, category. So what are the technologies available to electrify those and or decarbonize those? Sure. So um, the low temperature heat range is about a third of all industrial heat demand. Um, and so the, um, it, but it is possible to electrify the medium and high temperature heat, um, as well as instances where the fossil fuels are used for energy purposes other than heating. So um, there are electric heating technologies like electric resistance, um, electromagnetic induction, um, infrared heating, uh, dielectric heating, which means using microwaves or radio waves, kind of like your microwave oven, um, electric arcs and plasma torches or lasers. All of those can deliver medium and high temperature heat electrically. Um, and they often deliver that heat to the material or the part being processed with lower heat losses than combustion. Um, for instance, they don't have exhaust gases, which carries away a lot of heat from combustion in the hot exhaust. So um, all of those technologies are commercialized in at least one industry. Um, for example, induction is used in um, metal furnaces and, um, late, and uh, plasma torches are used for cutting and welding metal. Um, but more work needs to be done to bring those technologies to other industries. So while it's common today to use the plasma torches to cut and weld metal, they could also be used to heat a cement kiln. And that was actually demonstrated by a company called Cementa a few years ago, but nobody actually sells an electrically heated cement kiln. Um, so, uh, the key is to have a better, um, these technologies are understood, but they need to be um, commercialized as products like, you know, electrical cement kilns or whatever that are sold to, in, to industrial firms. Uh, briefly, the non-heating uh, uh, uses of energy 
are for things like moving machinery or operating small on-site vehicles like forklifts. And those tend to be fairly easy to electrify using technologies like uh, electric motors and other technologies from the buildings and transport sectors. Um, heat is where the more challenging part is. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's uh, multiple facets within any industrial operation, including the, as you mentioned, Jeff, earlier, the building that it's in or the facility it's in and the heat needs there. And then the, if they have any vehicles, those are also another factor. And then the actual processes themselves. So great opportunities across the board to start in exploring um, the adoption of these technologies and particularly those that will help save money. Um, on the commercialization barrier, that's a good segue into uh, my next question, which is, you know, we've got, sounds like we've got a lot of good technologies, but they're, they're uh, slow to scale and they haven't really seen major uptake yet, especially in the U.S. What other barriers beyond just the cost factors do you see in uh, electrifying industry in the U.S. in the next decade? And Gibran, I'll start with you. Sure. So I think main barriers to industrial electrification, not only in the U.S., but in most countries are three. Uh, although, so you said that what other factors other than, I mean, cost, I would still say the first is uh, the electricity prices compared to natural gas and other fossil fuels are, are are very high. So the more we shorten the gap between electricity and fuel prices, more cost-effective electrification uh, measures and technologies will become. Secondly, um, the current energy mix is for power generation. I mean, the whole concept of electrification is based on clean and uh, green electricity uh, in the future and um, reducing the co2 intensity of electricity ideally to zero is a is a major challenge and i'm glad that us aims to have carbon free electricity by by uh, 2035 third uh, grid reinforcement um electrification not only in industry but also in other economic sectors will 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 need massive grid expansion and we need to plan for it today um finally not not really a barrier but but development of electrified technologies for high temperature applications is i think another issue although uh, uh jeff mentioned that there are several uh technologies that are already commercialized uh but uh, for example electric cans uh, he mentioned about electric cans for cement production um I would say that these skins could make a huge difference worldwide. And there is some research going on uh, this topic. However, I'm, I'm still not sure if um, electric skins will be on market anytime soon. So, so yeah, I mean, I think these are the major barriers uh, to, to large-scale industrial electrification. Jeff, what would you add to that list? Um, well, first, I, I'll say I agree with Gibran about um, uh, about all of the barriers he mentioned. Those are um, those are indeed the main ones. Um, and um, I'll say that one thing that uh, uh, all the, the uh, industries uh, do need to keep in mind is that um, although electricity is more expensive per unit of energy, it's also used more efficiently 
Um, the heat pumps, obviously, because they can be several times more efficient than an electric resistor or combustion, but even at the high temperatures, they tend to be more efficient. So that helps make up some of the gap or potentially all of the gap, depending on the technology, um, heat pumps being the ones more likely to be uh, cost effective, even without policy support. But more policy support will be helpful. Um, we can get into that a little later on um, what types of policies would help to close these gaps. Um, there are also some concerns that plants will have with switching to new processes. So there's, yeah, there's the cost of buying the new equipment, but then you have to shut down the, pro the production line to install it. So there's some lost revenue, and then there might be some differences in how it operates. Uh, the biggest efficiency gains will come, like, let's say you have a steam system. Well, yeah, you could replace the natural gas boiler with a heat pump, and then the steam system works the same uh, as it did before, and there's not going to be much retraining. But you're also le leaving some efficiency gains on the table because if you could, because there are losses from converting uh, from from going to steam to the product, and if you could have replaced the steam system with direct electrical heating, you might have been able to get. Uh, significantly more um, efficiency improvement, but that might involve a larger change to the production process than simply switching the natural gas boiler for a heat pump. So there can be some trade-offs there between um, ease of installation and training versus the ultimate energy efficiency you get. Yeah, absolutely. Very important point that anytime you're adopting new technologies, it does require a shift in training and workforce impacts and not to be overlooked because those are all uh, important factors for anyone running a, a business, especially large industries. Um, so let's segue to the policy piece because it is very important. Um, we've pretty much established that the opportunity is there, the technologies exist, but more is needed to, to really scale these technologies and get them into more... Uh, industrial operations. So we've talked about what was in the Inv Inflation Reduction Act, which was great, but what other policies are you identifying as uh, really critical to unlock this this momentous opportunity to, de to decarbonize industry through electrification? And Jeff, I'll start with you since you queued it up. Sure. So um, policy support is going to be uh, very important for this transition to um, clean industry. Some options are, one, support for research and development. So that can help bring down the costs of the electrified technologies. It can help adapt them to the types of equipment used by more industries. So the example of taking the plasma torches now used for cutting and using them to heat kilns is one where that will need some R&D to make to turn it into a commercialized product. Um, Number two, you can have incentives and tax credits. Those can help manufacturers pay for electrified heating technologies. There are different ways to do that, like equipment rebates on the equipment purchase or retooling grants to help businesses um, you know, uh, afford to shut down and, and retool. You can even target specific communities with retooling grants if you need to encourage development in you know, a disadvantaged community or, or one where, um, let's say, a former coal mining community. Uh, a third approach is called green public procurement, where the federal government will agree to buy some materials like cement or steel if they were manufactured with clean uh, processes. 
Um, and then those materials get used in federal, uh, federally funded infrastructure and building projects like um, highways. Uh, a fourth approach is improving access to low cost financing. So you can use tools like co-lending, uh, which is where the government and private lenders share the risks and profits of a loan, uh, aggregation, which is pooling many small industrial projects into um, uh, to diversify the risk and increase the scale. Uh, you can offer loan loss reserves or loan guarantees, uh, industrial property assessed clean energy, which uh, helps encourage repayment by attaching the cost of upgrades to a facility to the property tax bill or even selling tax-exempt government bonds to raise money for industrial electrification projects. Um, those are all, those all are on the financial side. I'll also mention that on the non-financial side, the government could use energy efficiency or emissions standards, which can force some dirty fossil technologies off of the market and increase the market share of clean electrified alternatives. Fantastic. That's great. I, I mean, you've studied this and you really thought about it. So, but that's such an exciting list because a lot of times you don't necessarily have such a an extensive list of policy solutions. So, um, for those who are curious about any of those, uh, feel free to reach out to Jeff directly, and and we can and he'll give you all the details of how those work. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the book, my book next year, has detailed discussion of these and uh, how to design them well. So do um, do check out the book for more. Yes, absolutely. And and it's worth mentioning uh, that the De U.S. Department of Energy created several new offices in the last two years, as in in response to uh, President Biden's directives to really prioritize climate and domestic supply of clean technologies. So there is now within the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, there's also a new Office of Advanced Manufacturing and Industrial Decarbonization. So uh, great resources on the website. Again, I'll post the link in the show notes, but they have funding opportunities, careers and fellowships. They have an advisory committee um, to inform technology innovation. So there's actually a lot happening already, which is really exciting and uh, fits right in with a lot of what we're uh, highlighting today. So, um, Gibran, do you have other uh, policy recommendations or thoughts for policymakers who might be curious as to how they can uh, help elevate this in their sectors, whether it's federal or state? Um, I'm not as informed as Jeff is, but I would still say that uh, the federal goal of uh, this carbon-free electricity by 2035 is, is very ambitious and powerful. Um, it will not only encourage industrial electrification, but may, may also um, contribute to other pillars of industrial decarbonization. So, for example, green hydrogen production or um, carbon capture and utilization using um, electrified technologies, etc. Also, uh, DOE recently released its uh, industrial decarbonization roadmap which is an excellent document that provides uh, recommend recommendations for um, for achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050 through its um, four pillars of uh, decarbonization, including energy efficiency, electrification, low carbon fuels of fuel switching, and carbon capture and utilization. So, so yeah, there are there are many efforts underway, but I think we all are learning every day and there is a, still a lot to be done in the future. And I think on, on, on top of 
all the efforts the federal government is doing, it is also needed to have some sort of sustainable price reforms. I know carbon tax is a controversial subject and no one likes to pay taxes, but I, I think to further incentivize clean energy transition, um, a small carbon price to start with will encourage uh, um, new investments in, in clean technologies rather soon. Also, it is my observation that there is a, there's a push towards uh, demonstration projects. And I think uh, uh, DOE has also set, a, set up a new office of, uh, of clean energy demonstrations, which I think is, is, is great. So DOE involvement in, in uh, development and demonstration and technology transfer through, through target sub, targeted subsidies or workforce development and training, et cetera, will, will I think make a huge difference. Great. Uh, so... You mentioned some pricing reform. I'm curious if you have either of you any thoughts on the role that state utility regulators who set rates for electricity and natural gas, what role they have to play in facilitating industrial electrification. Have, have either of you given any detailed thought to that? Um, it's uh, public utility commissions aren't uh, my area of focus. I will say that in the um, United, I do know that in the United States today, industry already enjoys much lower um, electricity rates than residents do and lower natural gas uh, rates than residents get, uh, which um, is based on the way that they, they go before public utility commissions and they argue, well, we're, we're here, we're buying in bulk, we're uh, going to buy reliably, we're a major job creator. So this will help us employ people and, and uh, we deserve these low prices. Um, the discrepancy is actually larger for natural gas than for electricity because of something called demand charges where electricity is billed not just by the amount you consume but by the peak rate. And industries tend to have higher demand charges than residents that makes up some of the gap, but still on average they pay less, much less than residents. Um, so I would say if public, I mean, is similar to Gibran's comments about carbon pricing, if a public utility commission said, well, gee, maybe industry shouldn't be enjoying extremely cheap discounted natural gas far below what, you know, everyday people have to pay to heat their homes, maybe we can increase the price to industry and and put that savings toward you know renewable energy projects or lowering other people lowering residents electricity bills or something that would help to incentivize more electrification by reducing that perk of extremely cheap natural gas rates that industries today enjoy yeah that's a that's a really interesting idea and and I you know I raised the question not having an answer myself but I think it's uh, a topic worth further consideration and, and uh, examination. So, um, well, as I expected, this time has flown by and this is such a fascinating topic. Uh, I have just a couple more questions for you both to round us out today. Um, for the industrial operators and industry leaders or CEOs who might be listening out there to this show, what do you want them to know about your research, your findings and insights on this topic? And Gibran, I'll start with you. Sure. So, I would say heat pumps have been existing for for decades, and 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 the technology is continuously evolving. So high temperature heat pumps, as I said earlier, that can deliver hot 
hot water and steam at temperatures of up to 175 degrees Celsius are fully commercial. And there is real world uh, operational experience out there. So if your temperature profile suits heat pump uh, applications, I encourage to to explore these opportunities. They are they are more efficient than combustion and electric boilers. And in worst case scenario, if the grid intensities remain at the at the same level, um, heat pumps can 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 reduce CO two emissions even today. So with our research, we have uh, we have demonstrated that um, industrial heat pumps are are cost competitive even today, and could also be cost effective in in several regions of the country. So, so yeah, I mean, please go for it. <laughs> Great. Don't sleep on the opportunity. The time is ripe. Yeah. Jeff, what would you add? Um, yeah, I, I agree with Gibran. And I would say, uh, um, I guess a message that I would say to industry leaders is that electrification, it really brings a range of benefits that can save the company money and increase sales. So, looking at things through a narrow lens of like electricity prices versus fuel prices misses what can be very large economic benefits for industrial firms. So some of these are, um, you have, if you, you have reduced exposure to fuel, to fossil fuel price volatility, which can be much greater than electricity price volatility, given the uh, international markets and the way that decisions uh, abroad in OPEC and whatnot affect fossil fuel prices. You have reduced maintenance costs typically for an electrical system instead of combustion. You have reduced cost of compliance with GHG or conventional pollutant regulations, conventional being things like particulates and NOx. You have improved workplace health and safety usually when you don't have the, the combustion and the emissions and improved ability to sell products to environmentally conscious buyers. Uh, as well as to governments uh, and with green public procurement policies or companies, which increasingly may have green requirements for their uh, inputs. And then on top of all that, the European Union has a carbon border tariff coming into effect on industrial products. And if uh, so getting ahead of this is going to make it cheaper and easier to export products to EU countries. And all of that is based on the situation today. Very likely there are going to be more policies regulating industrial GHG emissions coming in the next decade or so as various countries try to make real progress toward these net zero pledges they've made. So if you electrify now rather than invest in fossil equipment that may live on for decades, it helps get your company ahead of all of these upcoming policies across all of these countries so that you don't have to scramble later and scrap equipment or uh, have other problems. So if you look at the benefits more holistically, not through this narrow pricing lens, I think it's a really smart investment. All really good points, and I agree with them. I would add, too, you know, you guys called out the food and beverage industry is ripe for uh, low-temperature heat electrification. And I would argue there are a lot of companies out there touting their their green benefits, and most of them are through REC purchases, renewable energy credit purchases, uh, not necessarily meaningful technology changes at their core. And I would say there's tons of folks, uh, myself included, consumers who are really committed to buying products that align with their values and want to support companies that are really talking the walk. 
Uh, so that's another great reason. You know, you don't you don't want to do things just for the PR reason, but there's clearly a PR opportunity there. So. Um, great. Well, one final question for you all, and this is just more generally for all of our listeners. Uh, any takeaways or any thoughts that you haven't been able to to share yet that you want to make sure we we have for the end of the show here? Gibran, I'll, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I would say, um, I mean, in industry, most of the fossil fuels are consumed for, for process heating. And to reduce the carbon footprint of uh, process heating, we need more effective technologies and approaches. And electrification is one pillar that can that can play a critical role in in uh, industrial decarbonization. So, for this goal achievement, every stakeholder, be it industrial plants, utility companies, policymakers, researchers, or even local communities, they all need to come together and um, and coordinate with each other to fight. Uh, climate change. Here, here, Jeff. What is your final takeaway for our listeners today? Uh, well, I think this is a really exciting time for industry with these new technologies allowing firms to clean up the manufacturing processes, and um, and especially with heat pumps, they can save money and get the other benefits I I mentioned and uh, achieve this technological leadership. But uh, a transition, at at least at the speed and scale we need to address climate change isn't gonna happen automatically, meaning just through market forces alone. So electing policymakers who will commit to helping support industrial decarbonization is really crucial. So you need to support candidates that want to help industry and other economic sectors uh, decarbonize um, through those policies I mentioned, the financial and, and, and regulatory ones. So there are incentives, there are carrots, uh, there are sticks, but um, you can even consider running for office yourself, perhaps in your town or your state, um, and remind candidates that addressing industrial emissions is profoundly important because industry has been overlooked uh, in in terms of which sectors policymakers have focused on. We do have the technologies that industry needs uh, in order to do this. And um, for more on all of this, uh, just remember that my book, Zero Carbon Industry, will be coming out in late 2023 from Columbia University Press. So uh, check it out if you'd like more. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for being here with me today. This has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot more, and I know that our listeners are definitely going to have their eyes open to the exciting world of industrial electrification and decarbonization. And, uh, you know, what better time coming on the heels of COP27? Countries around the world are going home with commitments that they've made to tackle this challenge, and it was really elevated throughout the COP27 conference that this is the critical decade of action. So we've got to really start getting serious about uh, taking action. And with that, I will bid you both adieu. Thank you, Gibran. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure. And it has been my pleasure having you both here today. 
Electrify This is an Energy Innovation original podcast. Energy Innovation is a nonpartisan energy policy firm delivering high-quality research and analysis to help policymakers and regulators pursue a decarbonized energy future. You can find more information about Energy Innovation and the podcast at energyinnovation.org forward slash electrify this. Please continue to subscribe, follow, give us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing, and let us know if you have any thoughts. Thanks to our sound engineer, Rowan Stigner, and the audio in in Salt Lake City. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, and you're plugged in to Electrify This. Thank you.